Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast live on Phosphorus Radio, and I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos, and we have a really fantastic guest today. Welcome to the show, Julie Sai. Hi, Brian. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to get into uh, security and IoT with you. Absolutely. And we've been wanting to interview you for a while, so uh, we're going to just jump right into it. But uh, could you give our, our listeners a little bit of background about your journey and kind of how you got into cyber and what it is that you do now? Sure, absolutely. So um, I've been working in Silicon Valley for um, more than 25 years now, and I would say my cybersecurity journey was completely accidental and was <laughs> uh, unintended up until about maybe about 10 years ago. Um and in fact, when I uh, first got out of college in the mid '90s, I was like, "Oh, maybe I'll just go try out a different city, a different part of the the country." And um, there was never a reason to leave. There was always these really exciting things going on here in the Bay Area. Um, I found myself moving into uh, actually through the uh, generosity of friends who I used to know from the school newspaper. Started working as a network controller, which was my first hands-on job in tech, debugging um, network interfaces for a small ISP that was run out of a basement and eventually bought what, by one of the major providers. And that was like, you know, the first early dot-com years and, and a lot of fun, chaotic. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'd go and try to, you know, you learn from the people around you. You would go to the bookstore and grab an O'Reilly book and just try to figure it out. And, um, you know, that was the beginning. And as I got deeper and deeper into the technology, um, you know, at the time, just thinking I wanted to get more grounded and more understand it better because I'd actually graduated from school with a liberal arts degree. And and mm. around that time, realized, okay, I'm interested in media. The most interesting things in media are happening on the internet. I just have to learn more. I just found myself drawn into the more and more empirical and hard parts of the technology. So um, mm -hmm. moved into system administration, did a little bit of everything full stack for my first few years, um, including development, front end. And then at some point realized, well, actually, I think I'm actually strongest as system administration, surprisingly, because of um, being able to look at all parts of the system and being able to um, being interested in debugging complex interactions and things like that. So just went all the way into that. Eventually, I found um, some of the self-healing and automation technologies, which uh, were the uh, early uh, the early parents of um, today, what people use Chef and um, Salt and Ansible. Um, CF Engine and Puppet were uh, the start, and in my eyes, like uh, you know, some of the best um, theoretical as well as practical underpinnings were were put down by Mark Burgess about how to orchestrate finely detailed systems across big groups, and it was a great way to get into further and deeper into system administration and um, coincidentally also security because a lot of the things that you would try to um, architect and enforce throughout a large distributed system, if you could use configuration management and self-healing methods, all of a sudden you were getting these um, big returns to scale and sort of windfall wins in terms of consistency and transparency. And that became um, sort of my uh, specialty in, as an individual contributor, doing that sort of DevOps and DevSecOps stuff in the early days. 
And at the time, all I was trying to do was trying to help solve my boss's compliance problem without forcing my entire team to run around the office with clipboards, because that to me just sounded mm -hmm. like the worst way to work. So how are we going <laughs> yeah. to, you know, how are we going to make sure that like we are secure and compliant without, you know, having the means to hire a ton of people and, you know, the self-automation healing led in that direction. Um, a few years after that, um, after every job I was in, um, I was working for a lot of little startups. I was doing security stuff on the side and saying like, okay, well, we just got to get this in. We got to solve this compliance issue along with other work. Um, a VP over at Walmart said, you know, when I was applying for a DevOps role, he said, have you considered going into information security? I was like, no, nah, no, nah, it's, it's siloed, it's boring. I'm not going to do that. But then I went and interviewed with the CISO at the time and found, oh, this actually looks really interesting. There's a really big scale of interesting complex problems um you get to use all of your skills and just went um just went deeper and deeper into it over the last 12 years wow that's it's such an amazing journey and it's so funny when you mentioned the o'reilly books yeah. i had a, a similar experience i i used to collect them all right that's so but I, I do i do remember uh one, one of my first gigs uh was having to administer send mail mm -hmm. and I went and picked up the O'Reilly, which, which has a big bat on it. And if anybody yep. ever had to do send mail, that, that book was like a phone book. And yes. send mail was a bit of a, <laughs> yep. a nightmare. Um, and then like DNS bind, yes. of course, by Cricket Lou, which is, classic. you know, I, I think I still have that one. Uh -huh. Send mail, I think I burned, but uh, I think I still have <laughs> DNS and bind. Yeah. Um, so out, out of curiosity, so, you know, what what a what a great way to come up. And I love, you know, the liberal arts background and then, you know, every, everything you did with, uh, you know, the early startups on, on the telecom side with the ISPs. What were some of the early, like, security challenges when you were first started getting into it? what were like the, the threats you were concerned about and what were some of the things you were trying to trying to mitigate at that particular point in your career mm -hmm. yeah you know um it's, it's interesting like you kind of come full circle like in the very very beginning before like you know you're you're steeped in all this stuff you're just trying to uh, keep the lights on it and understand what's going on when something goes wrong and pray that it's not a security issue you know and um, I kind of remember like a few times, like, you know, we would, we'd have something, it'd be working on a project and something unexpected would be happening. You're like, okay, please don't let this be that. And then you start to dig around and you know that sinking feeling of like, okay, this does not look good. This is unexpected here. There's, this has been messed with. Okay. Like there's no good reason. And then, then you start to put together those pieces. And um, I feel like in the early years too, like you still had to um, use a lot of the sort of like, um, you know, sort of quaint ground pounding research methods, you know, going and calling up the best experts that you knew, like digging around a lot on your own in the source code and in the the logs and figuring out like um, all of the areas where um, you wish that, you know, had been instrumented better. And so I just, you know, those are things that kind of come up. I, you know, sometimes it would come up and it'd be benign and small and you just, uh, you know, take care of it. There wasn't a big compromise. And then sometimes, you know, you would realize, okay, this is a company threatening issue and um, and scrambling for resources, right? Because a lot of small startups in the early days, like everyone's just focused on growth. So you don't have massive teams or instruments devoted to security. You might have one person who's considered a security expert on the team and you go to them where they have certain responsibility, but there wasn't in the early years as much of a, um, as much of an awareness around, uh, chief security, um, mm -hmm. responsibilities and like what it really means to do it right. Yeah. And, and Julie, it's interesting. Uh, you, you talk, you know, specifically coming from like a startup environment where you yeah. said it's, 
you're small, but yet you still have an attack surface. Yeah. You're still getting targeted. You still have all the same threats as the big guys have, but it's small yep. and you have no team. And so, I mean, how has all that kind of come together for you today in, in just dealing with the kind of attack surface we have today, which just seems to get broader and bigger and deeper and wider? And has that helped kind of get to a strategy today to kind of deal with that attack surface, even despite kind of challenges, resources, gaps, all that kind of thing? That, that's a great question. I think some of those things you learn, even when you think that, oh, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be done right, are actually super, super useful. I think the two things that I'd call out specifically and encourage people to develop at any stage of their career are um, being able to deal with ambiguity. Like you're going mm -hmm. to come in with a lot, uh, you're going to have come in with theories as you get more knowledge, you're going to have more and more deep frameworks in your head about how to address stuff and including all that literature that's out there. But you have to be able to stay adept and light on your feet. And you have to be able mm -hmm. to like turn at a moment's notice and say, like, actually, the information, the data is not showing this. We got to go down this other route. Time is of the essence. You cannot exhaust everything. So mm -hmm. being able to deal with the ambiguity, synthesize all the information that's coming in and realize sometimes you're going to be in uncharted territory. And it, mm -hmm. it's going to, you're, you're going to, you're going to figure it out. Your team's going to figure it out. You're just going to carve your way through that jungle. I think the second thing that was super helpful throughout this period was learning how to deal scrappy. Um, you know, you got like a mission critical issue in front of you. Like no one necessarily knows anything. You're going to have to figure out like how bad it is, um, how to disclose it, how to run it up the chains of command and get the right resources on it. And um, sometimes in the beginning, it will feel very lonely. You know, it will feel like there is, there wasn't intention, there wasn't interest in it. Um, it's potentially uh, really rough. But I think that being able to look at that situation and say, hey, you know, this is our, this is what's threatening us right now. And we have got to um, deal with what we have with who we have mm -hmm. and just, just make it work. I think that's something every security team, every um, technology team on anything that's kind of cutting edge um, mm -hmm. It's useful for you because um, when you're truly in areas that are um, that are a little uncharted, there's not going to the operational playbook hasn't been set, and so you're going to have to be able to just you know do the very best with the information that you have. Sometimes you're going to infer things from lack of information, and that's that's what you have mm -hmm. also, you know. But you'll always try to put together that timeline. Um, I think that nowadays with as many threats and new situations that we're coming into now with both like, um, you know, this shifting dynamics in, in world order, the like massive level of automation and technology going into every level of society, like including old industry, like day-to-day -day, um, tools mm -hmm. and, and people wearing this, like we are today encountering, um, you know, a number of threats and complexity of threats that I can only, um, I can only compare it to the, you know, the world of ecology and biology. Like there's a lot of things that are proliferating in areas that you aren't necessarily going to see. They're going to interact in unexpected ways and you're going to have to mm -hmm. figure out how to mitigate even without like all the tools at your disposal. And I think that kind of thinking is really, really useful in today's world where we are faced with a lot of, um, you know, very uh, significant and complex cha challenges that are um, that are new. Mm -hmm. You know, Julie, I'd like to double click on the different thinking there just for a moment, because yeah. as you mentioned, you, you came up with a bit of a different background yeah. in liberal arts. And, and I actually say a little bit of a different background, but a lot of people don't come into security 
with a degree in security or even computer right. science. And with your mm-hmm. liberal arts background, and, and I know you have a uh, a minor in econ from Stanford, so clear, clearly you're a great underachiever. But uh, the uh, <laughs> ha, has has that background in economics? Because I've met a lot of people that have actually had accounting backgrounds and are doing this as well. Yeah, yeah. Has that helped you in your your role? You know, whether it's Walmart or Box or some of the maybe the companies that you're a board advisor for, has, has that played into sort of how you think about the problems and and how you address it from a cyber perspective? I think it has. I think that the the sort of like the uh, the root or the DNA of my thinking on on that has, or like my education at least, actually has helped a lot because in political science, you're trained to think of whole systems and complex interactions, some of which can be quantified and some can't. And I think this is true in technology and security too, because um, especially in security, you have a lot of psychology going on. You've got, um, you know, financial motivations, emotional motivations, um, and unexpected data streams coming in from places. Um, Mm -hmm. Economics helps you to quantify certain things and try to be really, really disciplined about what you know and what you don't know, you know, and I think that also really helps. The thing, the sort of hidden piece to this is that both of my parents like were, uh, uh, were um, immigrants on um, my father, especially like in technical scholarships, he was a chemical engineer. And years later, I only found that like a lot of people in the DevOps world were saying like, hey, actually, a lot of the folks who are excelling in these system administration and, um, you know, uh, more nascent fields actually come out of accounting or chemical engineering backgrounds, which is very, very Mm. precision oriented, you know, Mm -hmm. it's very, very precise. And so there was a, and my mom um, did her second degree in, uh, in computer science. And so like that sort of sense of precision and rigor is part of what I carried into, um, carried into that picture. And I was going through a phase where I wanted to try to uh, like learn and achieve things outside of the classroom. And in some sense, I kind of set my degree to the side, which I think was necessary at the time to focus and to really just say like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to commit to this new thing. I'm going to commit to really understand the technology. I was a system administrator for 13 years. And then later in my career, as I was starting to get problems with bigger scope and and teams and organizational dynamics and, um, and speaking, right? I started to see how all those strands would come together and other cybersecurity leaders have told me that like, you know, um, and in the generation above or, or like part way. So like, you know, no one goes into this planning to go into this. And I think a lot of this, um, I think a lot of us in this particular generation of professionals um, were sort of making it up in the, on the fly and then just trying to really commit to it. And someone told me that actually in the early, early days of computing, before it got really professionalized, like in the 60s and 70s, it was like that too. You'd be drawing in people from mm-hmm. all sorts of um, very diverse backgrounds and they'd be bringing all of that stuff into what, what was happening. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, and it, it's, um, I mean, so let's talk about today, your attack surface. So yeah. how does all that, in the confluence, all those things together to dealing with your attack surface and then mapping that to, you know, what then are your priorities to address that, that attack surface? What are the tools that kind of meet those priorities? And then how do you deal with all of that with the team you have and the gaps? You know what I mean? Is that, yeah, totally. How did, how did, yeah. What does that all, all look like today for you? Is it because you mentioned the point earlier, which was a great one, just society today. There's so many data points coming in. I mean, the world we yeah. live in is so different and, and uh, we'll talk about kind of the, the IoT and XIoT side of it, but just that attack surface is so big. How do you even grasp that? Yeah, I think, you know, looking at it from like that whole system point of view, if you're coming into a new environment, either bootstrapping or repairing something that was there, 
there's a few things that I would definitely, you know, high highlight as being important. One of them, of course, mm-hmm. of course, is visibility, right? How much mm-hmm. can you really understand about your um, your infrastructure, your systems, your applications, your people? Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you don't have enough data at all, then like you start asking those generative questions about like, what does an attack look like? What is my um, revenue driver or our crown jewels of data? And start focusing mm-hmm. around some of your visibility areas there and your, your pipelines to that. You know, it's important to look at it from that three-dimensional view. Um, so visibility is always really key. If you have too much information, again, start going to those core questions and say, okay, what out of all of this do I really, really care about? You know, and like, is there, am I getting good data on the important question that I need? Um, Mm -hmm. so I, I think visibility, like understanding, monitoring, understanding your stack and the, the teams that are working with you on that are completely, completely critical. I think the other piece, and this is more of the, uh, the qualitative side of things is really understand your business. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Who are your customers? Who are your competitors? Who are the people that have a um, inordinate interest in what what your company does for whatever reason? Are they um, have there been areas that have been exploited in certain ways or that they're able to use in unexpected ways? Um, I think one of the interesting and important things about security is that both your users as well as attackers will use your application and your stack in unexpected ways. When your mm-hmm. customers and users are using it, what you have is a product insight, right? When your attackers are using it that way, what they're actually doing is exploiting a vulnerability in some, um, you know, overlooked, um, some overlooked backwater of the technology environment. And so mm-hmm. being aware, usually what ends up happening um, is that uh, a smart attacker is going to attack the thing that you're paying the least attention to. And in fact, it's one of my team members uh, for my last role, like when we were interviewing, did a lot of red team work. And so like, that's, that's basically what I'm going to do, you know, like skip a lot of the, um, you know, more esoteric stuff. But mm-hmm. like, if you as a business are not paying attention to X, that's where I'm going, you know? And so I think that that's like where you have to really think as a business, like, okay, like um, it is a weakest link in the chain problem. So like when I look at the whole thing in terms of like our user profiles, our technology stack, where do we keep data? How do, how do our employees operate? Um, do we have a lot of non-employee people? Are they over international borders? How well-trained are they? How well have we provisioned them with safe tools? You know, you start looking at all those things, look at where those weak links are, and that's those are going to be some of your, your vulnerability points, and as well as like where you might be the most liable, right? Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. really understanding your stack and that, in that area, I think is um, is important along with the visibility. So I think those are those are the two major things that I've looked at, like coming into a new environment. Sure. Well, when you when you think about IoT today, and we we can even talk about OT on the SCADA side, industrial control systems, yeah. and things like that. Any of these specialized hardware, software defined devices that. Uh, you're unable to install a traditional agent on, like a CrowdStrike yes. or a McAfee or anything like mm-hmm. that, right? And there's a lot of them. Yes. And I honestly didn't even know how many there were until I really started working in this space. And I would go to some retailers. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe they have a couple hundred, like security cameras and door locks and things like that. No, they had thousands, in some cases, tens of thousands per store and things like deep fryers and microwaves and right. ovens and cleaning equipment, these <laughs> yeah. are, they're all running Linux. Yeah. <laughs> or they're running Linux or Android or Flavor of BSD. It's, they're all running a Flavor of Linux, essentially. Yes, like, yeah. Look at all these Linux servers. <laughs> and uh, even in fast food restaurants. So <laughs> now that we're working with CISOs and other leaders in yeah. these companies, and, and a lot of it's 
pretty shocking. Uh-huh. Like my question for you is, how did this sneak up on us? Because, <laughs> you know, it's not like we didn't know there was things. It's just, it's like, oh my God, we have so many and they're so vulnerable and they're all mm. Linux servers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think it's it's got to be that that thing of like gravitating towards the bright, shiny. Hey, we can make everything smart. Let's make everything talk to each other. You know, isn't that yep. neat? <laughs> yep. You see the lights go off. See, oh, they're communicating. That's great. Um, and, you know, and of course, like as the security practitioners, you have to think as soon as that's happening, okay, we have another attack surface and this is another method of information and compromise being communicated, right? And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, I think we're, we're in that stage of things, right? Where there's there's still a little bit of that um, euphoria and enthusiasm over like how cool and advanced we can make all these tools, right? So, and um, mm-hmm. you layer that on top of a lot of legacy technologies that are either bootstrapping or um, or kind of retrofitting to you know some sort of uh, simplified Linux OS or something. And you, yeah, now you have all these basically computer devices and things that didn't used to be computer devices, right? Like, Mm -hmm. does my lamp here have Bluetooth? Does, uh, you know, does my pen need to have it? You know? Um, And so now you have basically um, a house, right? Like if you look 20 years ago, how many computing nodes did it have aside from like people's PCs, right? But if you look Mm -hmm. today, right, at all the pieces, the refrigerator, all the um, appliances, um, the smart home security systems, the um, the things in the yard, whatever, how many computing devices are there now? And that's all a footprint that needs to be protected. And part of the, um, the issue and the compromise, right, is like some of these areas that are less well-known and less, um, uh, less uh, protected from a, a product standpoint um, are also completely ripe for attack, right? Like when you look mm-hmm. at different breach kill chains, how many of them leverage a vendor who's working on like let's say some um you know some weird or hvac system over here and they had a password in Mm -hmm. and someone was able to hang out in line wait and then start pivoting into systems so you know you look at it and like it's now become a very complex terrain of like generations of technology that are layered together a lot of which have not been maintained or have are really hard to maintain like um who's going to update the os on your refrigerator but it's not doing it by itself you know um And so over time, all of that starts to accumulate more security vulnerabilities um, that the regular consumer um, and even the technical consumer is not going to have the, the patience or the bandwidth to, to manage, right? So we have a yeah. really, really interesting issue here, right? Like tool can be used for good or for bad. Every, every flexibility or capability also leads to a potential area of compromise or break. And our tool set for, um, you know, hardening and insulating things is still to mature. And I think this is where companies like yours become very relevant. Um, And I think that like eventually we also have to come to a sophisticated understanding of the right balance of how much to network certain things versus not, you know, Mm -hmm. I think when you look at any kind of um, evolution of a technology or product there seems to be like this arc of like there's this kind of sweet spot where functionality and design and simplicity are all like in the right place and then at some point things start to get overloaded and um start to bloat and i think right now we're sort of at the beginning stage and like we have to um it will take both the marketplace as well as consumers to become smarter and smarter about 
what to do and what not to do. And I, I see signs of hope. You know, I, I look at like the younger generation, they seem like they're more mindful than we are certainly, or like the older generations about like when to turn the technology off. Like, and I think it's because they're so immersed in it all the time that it's like um, mm, just to get yeah. a break at all is such a, such a big deal. Whereas a lot of us didn't necessarily grow up that way, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you, you made a point, which is great, Juliet, you know, like we have to, you, you have to pay attention to what is connecting to your network. And, yeah. and a lot of these devices, many of them maybe perhaps don't need to be connected to, right. to your network. And, and, but many, many, many are. And um, so, which, which ties also to your point that attackers are going to focus on that thing that you're paying the least amount of attention about, right? Or that you're right. just not paying attention to at all. And so here you're, you're faced with the devices that are connected, right? And as Brian said, they're network connected. They're basic Linux servers running a bunch of flavors. You can't put an agent on them. Right. Traditional, traditional security tools, interestingly, don't particularly do a great job with them either. Um, and then you look at the state of these devices, right? So, you know, half of them, 50% of them are deployed and uh, operating with default passwords. There's, yep. you know, loads and loads of vulnerabilities, many of them, you know, critical uh, vulnerability. Many, many of these devices ship with vulnerabilities just for you. It's a nice yes, gift. Right. They just ship to them. Um, you know, it's, uh, they have, could have expired certificates. They've got every port and protocol open. I mean, you, you know, they come ship, you plug them in. It's like Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, Telnet, SSH, HTTPS, everything, right? So you think about that. How do you, how do you think through that and, and then say, how do I prioritize this? What do you do about that? The state of these devices? Because right. practically almost anyone you pick is, is, has these issues. Um, and how does that then tie into how do you prioritize that? And how would someone prioritize that with the tools we have today, right? Yeah. Um, I, I would start like any good security administrator um, when they get a uh, when they get something to uh, secure or harden takes away the unnecessary things. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is where it's this is the tension or the balance with uh, people who are like creating the features or creating the product. It's like, OK, like, you know, do we need this? It creates performance and security um, issues like if we're adding something we don't need, you know, and I think mm -hmm. that like um, consumers also, uh, you know, I don't want to recommend or a world that I think it, which is unsustainable, whereas like your average household person has to learn how to um, regularly update and secure 50 mm -hmm. different devices in their home of different, you know, types and flavors. And it's just impossible. Like anybody who does this yep. stuff professionally knows that like, even if you had to do that for your job, that's like not, um, you know, it's going to get old pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, I do think that the key for um, the home or personal consumer is to simplify what they turn, what they connect to the network and what they don't. And then also mm -hmm. expect certain things like, you know, look at, look at things like where, you know, what's under warranty or the operating systems and the computing platforms, they're under warranty as well. You know, in an ideal world, we're all able to maintain all of our stuff from beginning to end, but I don't think that that's necessarily realistic. Mm -hmm. Um you know, so I think that's that's that piece of it. I think on the professional and uh, industry and commercial side, what it requires is a um, better coordination, maturing of the tools that are there to help synchronize um, synchronize consistency and um, secured configurations. Um, mm -hmm. You know, 
I think that a lot of the the tools are there, but they need to be working together in the right way. And I think mm, yeah. like having that focus around, um, you know, what's actually going to help the um, help the builds come out secure and come out in a maintainable way. You know, all this stuff takes time, right? Like it used to be, if you if we use Linux as an example, right? In the earlier years, there's a lot of like custom, you know, custom carve outs of like how you're going to install something or messing around with the manifests and like making sure that things are exactly the way you want. And then eventually the package managers got better and better and easier to do things at scale. And I think this is where mm -hmm. the security component needs to come in too and say like, okay, like how are we making this um, how are we making this truly industrialized and smooth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, Julie, I, I I just love the the measured approach you you take to these because I I I can see it how from your system administration and network background and coming up through security now applying to sort of today's modern threats. It's it's really a, a similar methodology and thought process that's applied. It's a very mm -hmm. mature thought process and sort of how you attack risk mitigation. Um, I'm wondering, uh, through the years of doing this, are there any kind of cool war stories or uh, lessons learned that, uh, you know, stories from the trenches, if you will, that you can mm -hmm. share with us? <laughs> yeah, I can, uh, let me, let me think of, uh, let me think of something that like I can, I can share. I think that um, uh, definitely in the early years, uh, you know, when I'd be working for a few companies, like more than one company I was working for would have, some, um, you know, some application core or platform system that was written by a, you know, a developer, a DevOps person they had had on contract and the person had just disappeared off the, you know, just, just went off yeah. into the ether. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it, you know, there's, there's a number of like, you know, things that kind of contribute to that. But one of the things that is very, very challenging in those circumstances, right, is to um, maintain and secure those things. Like where there hasn't been documentation, it's been very handcrafted and it's, um, you know, uh, and you don't have a, you got to just learn it by working with it and, and uh, watching it. And um, one of the things that I think I've learned the hard way on that is if you don't have a good understanding of the technology stack you're working with, either because it's just, the documentation wasn't there or you're new to it or whatever, start mitigating your risks in the beginning in terms of, um, you know, understanding like where to, uh, where your levers are if you had to turn certain things off and like, what are your indicators also of normal, right? And I would say this for any organization, like have a really, really good understanding of your baselines of normal activity, normal usage, um, security performance issues often show up in a very similar looking kind of package. And so you want to have a clear idea when things are going right and when things are going wrong, even when you don't have all of the 100% mm -hmm. tooling that you want. Um, and I think that doing that hard work in the beginning, even before things have happened, like as a just sort of a proactive measure is what I've, I've learned. Like you want to use those peaceful times to... Uh, to really understand what you're working with and to prepare. And I, I think that's, that's definitely something that I, I learned the hard way. And does that also, Julie, apply to the actual tools? I mean, in some cases, you're going to have to learn a new tool sure. to address something on the fly. You're going to have to bootstrap. You're going to learn it. Right. So that approach applies to the actual tools and technologies that you're using and deploying. Is that safe to say? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, yep. you know, you want to get in there. You want to be doing a deployment from end to end. You want to troubleshoot an incident from end to end in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, when something goes wrong, how did I, how did, I, how did we know about it? How did we uh, contain it or stamp it out right away? Um, and if those things aren't happening organically, you want to kind of, as I say, war, war room them out a bit proactively just to get those muscles working in your head. Um, you know, if you're working with a new custom stack or, or even one that's well known, that's, you know, like a, um, you know, recommended stack of stuff, you want to be in there and tracking all the, those sort of interdependencies and really knowing like, okay, this is like where, um, you know, what's fragile and not fragile, because those things are Mm -hmm. often not going to be advertised as well, whether, you know, people don't always like start right away and say like, Hey, these are all the areas where you need to like look out for every once in a while you'll have people on your team who are going to be oriented that way you want to keep those people close but like Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of times you're going to have to discover that the hard way so i think that really um you know there is no substitute for understanding you know what you're what you're working with and what you're getting into and i think that also is part of the huge challenge of iot right you know because you have that great Mm -hmm. diversity of different um different uh layers of things in the stack, you know, the old stuff and the new stuff, as well as, um, you know, sometimes probably a lot of custom integrations, you know, and that kind of thing can get very, mm-hmm. um, very, very complex to manage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you're, 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 you hit the nail on the head so correctly in the old and the new, because we go into organizations, especially on the OT side today, where there's, there's tech that was built in the 80s, yeah. not initially designed to be on a TCP IP network, which is retrofitted. So it's like running serial over Ethernet or something like that. It's yeah. got some module that was tacked on. And it's just a it's a digital device that controls physics, flow, voltage, pressure, temperature, things of that nature. Um, and they're chugging along. But because they depreciate turbines, for example, over decades, they depreciate the computer that's connecting to the turbine to run it over decades as well, which uh, yeah. we, we, we don't see that that often. And I, I, mean, I don't right. even think my, my iPhone would work if I didn't upgrade it no. after probably a year, let alone right. 20 years. Yep. <laughs> but uh, uh, Julie, this has been great. And I'm sure we could we could talk for hours and hours about this. This is fascinating. I love your perspectives. Um, perhaps uh, you could give some closing thoughts or words of wisdom to our our listeners uh, out there that are, are working in the uh, cybersecurity space. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, first of all, uh, you know, stay stay with it. We need you. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, I think that uh, you know, there's a time for uh, accumulating information, and there's a time to simplify. And to me, a lot of the art of security is knowing like when to pull in more information and when to simplify either the way you're analyzing something or how you're maintaining something. Um, you know, a lot of the, the um, you know, the great security administrators I worked with earlier in my career, like I saw that like a big part of it was just, you know, asking those hard questions about what do we really need to go into production? You know, if you don't need it, get rid of it. Yep. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, it's such an insightful Interesting discussion today, Julia. It's wonderful to have you. And uh, so thanks so much for joining us, Julie Sai, and again to my co-host, Brian Contos. Thank you so much, John Vecchi. Thanks for having me. And remember, everybody, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive, full-scope security for the extended Internet of Things. And until we meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. We'll see you next time on Phosphorus Radio.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast. Thank you.